go and find a nuggety little spot and sit there and see what happens and if and and watch the nothingness the the so-called nothingness but there's the insects there's the light there's the wind there's the sound there's your heart and your breath and just do that Welcome to Nature Junkie Radio. This is a place for us to explore the wisdom, wonder, and ways of nature connection to help replenish your stoke. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson, and I hope you enjoy the ride. Hey everyone, before we get into this episode, I would love to hear how you microdose nature. If you're up for it, get out your phone and record a voice memo for about 30 seconds to a minute. Tell me your name, where you're from, describe how you microdose nature, and how it makes you feel. Just email that voice memo to hello at naturejunkielife.com. I'll read it again. Hello at naturejunkielife.com. And I'd love to share it on a future episode of the podcast, just like this one right here. Jeff, super delayed in getting to you on this, but my favorite way to microdose nature is to hit a little par three course over at Loma Club, shoeless, and just knock around the ball for an hour or two. Very relaxing, can bring my dog out there, and a great way to just kind of get yourself grounded. Um, And everything's fun or barefoot. (laughs) Hope you're doing well, my man. Thanks for sharing that microdose of nature, Ryan. I love that even within the privilege of a North County San Diego golf course, you're taking a little punk rock moment to connect with our mother nature. I also think you would have fit right in with the cast of Caddyshack. And funnily enough, there's actually a little punk rock golf course connection somewhere in this episode. Thanks, amigo. Okay, today's guest is Christian Beamish. Christian is a surfer, shaper, boat builder, sailor, and writer. He shapes beautifully rippable boards under his Surfboards California label and is a regular contributor to the Surfer's Journal. He's also the author of a book, The Voyage of the Cormorant. It's a memoir that chronicles the building of a boat with his own hands and sailing it down the Baja Mexico coastline against sound advice in search of secluded surf, a deeper connection with himself and nature. In this convo, we delve into Christian's board shaping influences and explore the sensory merging of people with their watercraft and the ocean. We discuss Christian's concept of blood memory, his early exploits in coastal vastness and backpacking that catalyzed the life of chasing nature. And of course, we chat about the many themes in his book, like the generosity of people you meet in the wild, and moving at the pace of whales instead of digital clocks. This one will make you want to build things with your hands, follow your curiosity, and create challenging life experiences that are both romantic and radical. In this first part of the conversation, we nerd out pretty hard on surfboards, the dynamic feelings of riding waves, how his time in the Navy Seabees forged his ability to build things with his hands, and we get a window into Christian's formative nature influences. Let's get into it. Christian Beamish, welcome to Nature Junkie Radio. Man, 
takes one to know one. I'm <laughs> stoked to be here. Let's start out with something sort of fun and easy, hopefully, which is what, what's uh, your favorite watercraft of choice these days and what kind of feelings are you associating with it? Man, you said it was going to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's true for a surfer, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, um, I've been thinking about it. So I kind of, I almost have these two two extremes that I, that I go through in, in surfboard design, and that is... Um, ultra, ultra high performance in a sort of old school way, and then pure old school like single fin and even sort of glider point and shoot style right. surfing. So, you know, I mentioned yesterday that um, that the surf wasn't that good. I mean, it was there was some sets, it was overhead and kind of thumping, and I thought I was seeing corners down down in just this rent you know open beach in Ventura. And, you know, a lot of times, like, you think you see a corner, but, you know, mentally you just, (laughs) oh, I'll just put myself 25 yards further down the line and I'll make that section when in reality. So I paddled out on my little 6.4 double wing swallow, six channel 20. And I love that board. But here's the thing, like, I'm not sure. It's just, it's such a different, you really want to have a pockety, powerful, clean driving wave to optimize that shortboard otherwise you're doing lots of wiggles and lots of squiggles and maybe throwing some kind of erratic slash in, in you know because of course you can turn on a dime but more and more and i think always but more and more i'm looking to like connect the dots in my surfing and so if that means not really doing anything standing up and and drawing kind of a lateral line a high line and just just running as far as it runs bottom turn kind of bank off the bottom come up mid face and and run it out that's it i mean that's the pinnacle of the surfing experience is that is that optimal board speed whatever the particular board you have to be on so what i'm getting at is what's my favorite craft it's you know definitely depends on the conditions um but more and more i'm looking for that like everybody that magic blend like how can i get because i mean honestly my i I find myself enjoying my nine foot like wide wide tail Mm. block diamond tail single fin um it's kind of like a, a magic sam malibu chip a little bit of something like a George Downing, Makaha, 1950s, mm. like, it's just a very neutral board, but it's mm. that it's that lateral thing that I was talking mm. about, like, pop to your feet, and you're right up in the hook, and you're just trimming, and it's like, it, it's very subtle, and you're not really, like, by today's standards, you're not doing anything, air quotes, <laughs> you know, but it, it's just the optimal thing, but I still, you know, want to smash it sometimes, and so how do you... You know, I don't know. I, I could I could ramble and ramble on. I'll tie it up with this. Yeah. The I can't picture that board quite yet because if I stretch out my double wing swallow six channel twin fin high performance machine, I'm pointing at it. We you know with that with that needle nose, not even quite needle nose, but pulled nose. It's a high performance board. If I stretch those dimensions out to say seven seven or eight feet. In pursuing that glide feeling, I'm not going to really have that. I'm going to have a gun 
Mm -hmm. with those same proportions to that length. I'm going to have a gun that doesn't traverse, that doesn't fit the curve of the wave face. Yeah. You know, so that's a design problem to be solved, you know? I so feel that. And (laughs) I think we have the same pursuit on boards. I don't want to go on probably too yeah. too much of a detour on this, but I think okay. it might be a helpful context. But you mentioned being in the Navy, and you were in the Navy Seabees. Yeah, construction. What branch. did you do in that? I was a steel worker in yeah. a construction battalion. Um, it was combat engineering. Yeah. Um, I was in the first Gulf War. Not like you know, there they are, rat a tat tat. Definitely, you know, an infantry training we would go on patrol at night and uh with weapons and yeah real bullets and um it's very strange when you uh you know i think about it now guns aren't a part of my life i don't own them um i just feel like it's more likely some the someone's likely to get killed or Mm. maimed and so i just i don't need a gun and yeah someone might come and get me guess i'm just gonna surf without a leash on that one you know like uh, i don't need a gun that's the best way i've ever heard it yeah so um but there it's it's this like very kind of real thing you know and not that it's i mean it's unfortunate but i think um just like that movie the thin red line i think it quotes Mm. some greek tragedy like Mm. before there was man war was waiting for him Uh, (laughs) (laughs) which is heavy and gnarly and definitely men sort of we all get hyped Uh, up and you know want to fight over a wave or oil or riches or whatever all the many things to fight over um you know of course it's all illusion yeah yeah it's it's a trip did you um i was half expecting that some of your uh you know woodwork boat building skills came from the time in the navy or no where did that come from i would i would say more than half i like i didn't really grow i mean scotty hender and i built a a half pipe in our garage in my garage um but he knew more about building than i did but Mm. no i definitely learned how to build just generally you know i was a welder but um you know you're on a job site and you're cutting lumber building forms or doing whatever but um but also learning how to weld but it's it's all about like you know um um uh it's all about just knowing how to work you know read plans or just how to lay things out and how to be precise with dimensions is really important yeah um so i learned that Okay, so uh, I've always wanted to ask a shaper this. Ah. When you're shaping, how much do you think about and envision the board moving through and connecting with the water? And how much do you think about the rider? Or do you think about it as one kind of blended unit, <laughs> if you will? Uh, yeah, I guess there's a few things. I definitely like to, um, you know, keep the rider in mind the size of the person I'm shaping the board for. Um, and then um, as far as like the board's movement through the water, um, Britt Merrick, I heard him somewhere along the line say that his father had said to him that make your hands like water as you're, you know, as you're putting the contours in the boards and it's not like that's in my mind yeah i just think that's an interesting idea um to me 
the more that I do it, the more I recognize that my eye is becoming attuned to the symphony of curves. Um, and, um, and I learn a lot from riding the boards with the subtle little differences, you know, mm-hmm. concave is, is for example, a very interesting and important part of any board. Well, some boards don't call for it. Right. But, um, you know, more is not necessarily more. Right. So, um, so yeah, you know, um, I suppose I do think, but I, as far as when I'm shaping, it's not so much that I'm like, you know, sanding in, like I, I cut the concaves roughly with the planer just to kind of get them to depth. And then I have this little rasp that I, that I put the contours and then I go over with a ser- ever in- lighter blocks of, of sandpaper and, and screen. Um, so in that process, it's not like I'm like, Ooh, I, with this stroke, you know, I'm just like Al Merrick, like with making my hands <laughs> like water. I don't think that, but that hands like water part for me, at least in my process comes in on the front end, conceiving of the shape and mm. what I want it to do and what I want it to be. And so in that way, I almost have the thing created fully in my mind and then the actual doing of it is like a second draft, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. which is always the first draft for the next yeah, one. The first physical draft. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and the yeah. first one's mental uh-huh. and visual. Yeah. So in your writing, you in, in our chat so far a couple of times, you talk about, you know, a lot about the joy of gliding and trim and, I don't know, maybe it's as I get older as a surfer too, but I just find like the really simple pleasures of, of wave, wave riding are timeless. And for me, I often just transcend the craft that I'm riding too. Mm. Except what? when the craft that I'm riding for me, except when it pisses yeah. me off that I've yeah. chosen the wrong That's board for the day. That's a whole story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then I'm not transcending anything. I'm just yeah, in my yeah, own yeah. personal that's, agony. That's the frustration station. <laughs> But what do you, uh, earlier you said something like the pinnacle is the optimal speed. What do you think is the, what do you think it is about the wave riding experience that creates that feeling, whatever that pinnacle feeling is? Um, I have thought about this one quite a bit and I feel that it's so dynamic and so engaging of all of one's senses that it's one of the few things that I can think of that get me out of myself. And I know from my experience that some of the best waves I've ever ridden, I can't remember exactly what happened on it because you, you kick out and you know it was insane. You're in that like sizzled, like different place but I can't recount exactly everything that just happened. And my, you know, sidewalk uh, neurological assessment of that state is that it has occurred so in the present and so immediately that, 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 that whatever the mechanism that's uploading to memory from lots of other experiences in life, mm. that one doesn't in the same way. Mm. Um, it, it's too fast or too immediate or too 
to something, you know, it's gone. It's, yeah. it's ephemeral. Yeah. It's, um, I've been in an ongoing debate with myself about this <laughs> over the last many years is partly spurred by an injury. I had a, a back surgery nine years ago and it took me a long time to recover my surfing really. And so, um, the silver lining of that was that I started getting in the water with a camera and wow, water photography is cool. I get way more barreled than I used to. And I don't have to fight for as many waves and I feel just as surf stoked afterwards. And so I had this concept brewing in my head of it's the water, not the board, but mm. damn, it feels good to glide on a board. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so like, <laughs> I think it's all of it, but yeah, it is all of it for sure. When was the first time you noticed nature had something a little more interesting and wonderful going on under the hood? When you went, whoa, there's something going on here. Um, a couple things uh, came to mind. You know, we, I, yeah. I was thinking about that question. Um, and it was, so now in Kern Mar, south of Kern Mar, there's the Newport Coast, right? Like mm -hmm. Kobe Bryant lived yeah. there and, uh, you know, big mansions and, and everything. Um, but when we were kids, I always remember distinctly, it was like, it wasn't, I mean, Laguna beach was 15 miles or whatever it is down, down the highway, down the coast highway. But you would leave Colonel Mar, you'd pass the, the five crowns restaurant, you know, and you'd go past those last little apartments, whatever that like last little bit of Colonel Mar. Yeah. Belmont then, Shores. Yeah. Belmont Shores, yeah. Clay Peterson. Um, mm. and, um, you would, uh, or Cameo Shores. Cameo one Shores. One of those. Yeah. yeah. Is one Belmont? And I don't know. Anyway. It's the last houses before yeah. it opened up in the expanse. Right. And then it would open up. And there was the Coves, which yeah. at that time was still just Irvine Ranch Land. And then um, eventually you would get to the Date Shack, right? What yep. was it called? The Orange... Uh, the Date Shack Shop. Yeah. I forget what it was yeah. called, but still there. The Orange Inn. Different, yeah, 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 different. Yeah, the Orange Inn. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there was one, there was a trailer on the, um, on the inland side of the highway too, where they, they mm -hmm. did smoothies. It was like super yeah. hippie. My dad was like, yeah. nope, we're not stopping there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I remember though, we would slip through the barbed wire fence, uh, up from the coves before Moro, uh, before El Moro, whatever that main watershed right. that's now hiking trails and stuff, state yeah. park. Um, there was another little, little tributary, a little, little watershed there and willows and stuff and you'd slip through the barbed wire fence and um and go and i just remember seeing it as an ecosystem you know seeing the little creek trickle and uh you know and then also in that same sort of like discovery mode um just tide pools uh, little corona yeah um so high yeah. high school then roughly uh, like, well high time? school slipping through the barbed Junior wire high, but yeah no but middle even, school and then as a child though yeah. um, my dad used to take me down to Divers Cove um, in in Laguna and and we just put the face plates on you know mm. and probably six or seven years old and snorkel and um, the whole sort of undersea world thing yeah. the idea was really. Yeah. exciting and attractive yeah. um and i also just remember being intrigued by to my you know young mind like it, i'm toggling right now between like high school right. slipping through the barbed wire you know to sit by the in, in the little cops of trees there um and then being a child down in Laguna Beach, we would always go down there on weekends, my dad and i in the um the eel grass and thalia street yeah. and, you know all that that 
you know, that clear water down yeah. there. It's so cool. Um, yeah. So I guess those, those experiences. And then also as a child in the car with my dad driving, um, looking at that stretch, looking up at the hills while also just kind of quick, you know, you get a quick little glimpse of the surf and um, mm. right there where the notch is before El Moro. Yeah. Um, and then of course you can see what the surf's doing at El Moro. Um, but before then coming south, just looking up into the hills and imagining how far back does it go? Cause I didn't know my mm. Southern California geography right. as six years old, you know, but yeah. like the idea of like, what's on the other side of those hills. I remember a strong draw to yeah. that. Yeah. And so a strong openness. draw to, to, to exploration. Yeah. yeah. Openness, you know, actually something just popped into my mind, Newport Harbor high school, the biology department had summer field studies and Dave mm. Misterly, my best, yeah best bro growing up. I used up. to skate that pool on Flower Street with oh, Dave. Yeah. Shout out, Dave. Yeah, Dave. <laughs> um, we did that two summers in a row. We hiked this from Newport Harbor High School. They had a bus thing they worked out. Mm. And they had You had to get your gear together and go on a, you know, yeah. overnight up San Jacinto in the Southern California mountains and get your rain gear together because we went backpacking for a week and we went up into the High Sierra, up over the crest and down into the Owens Valley. And that was really good for us and the other kids who did yeah. that being, you know, just yeah. Newport rats, you know? Yeah. This is great. This is bringing up so many things. So I got to hit a couple points here. Yeah, go for it. So, uh, one total chills on that area that used to be open. That's all golf courses now past yeah. cameo shores. Cause me and my buddies would go there when it was black ball, black ball, as we go surf there, some of the little reefs during oh, the middle of the day. And to I us, it was like, and we walk through these little gullies down yeah. and, to us, we were in Huck Finn mode. Yeah. We were like, oh, especially escaping concrete jungleness of Newport right. and everything. So crammed together, it was this vast expanse, and we felt like we were so on misto an down there. Yeah, yeah. so misto at the time, which is funny now. But I remember when they put the golf course in, we were so pissed, and we kind of ramboed out there a couple times, and security guards were chasing us. We we're like, ah, oh, this place is ruined now. Yeah. <laughs> and we were so only like felt it, 18 you know? then, but yeah. Um, that's one. So I was getting goosebumps as you were saying that. And that was cool. And uh, since you were brought up Brad Montgomery, too, we used to mountain bike up in the hills up there, too, around El Mora. Oh, and sure. And I did together. And then, but for Dave, bringing it back to uh, Dave for a minute, I meant to bring this up. So I remember one time I was at, uh, for some reason, hanging out in front of, what's the elementary school in Newport Heights? Yeah, it's Newport, Newport Heights, Heights Elementary. Yeah, that's where we went. I was there one time, maybe skateboarding or something, and I saw you and Dave walking with backpacks and you had your hiking boots on and stuff. And it just caught me off guard because it was weird that you were doing that there with backpacks <laughs> in, the in the middle of the neighborhood. And I remember hitting you guys up, I'm like, what are you guys up to? What are you doing? There? And you go, oh, we're, we're training for a, a backpacking mission. Oh, yeah. And I remember, I still remember this distinctly at the time thinking, man, those dudes are on some, like it's in a different realm. That's so cool. <laughs> I thought it was weird, but at the same time, I'm like, that's rad. <laughs> yeah, those were good trips. Those were really so good trips. So uh, backpacking yeah. came into play. That's yeah, so cool. backpacking. Yeah. And then, you know, there's some of those spots up in farther northern California where you hike into. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, yeah, you know, um, which sort of dovetails to me surfing, which uh, it's kind of if it's limited but um the the there's great allure to me in the in a wilderness shore you know um because the ocean is wilderness mm -hmm. and i think that's what draws us especially us like 
suburban kids, you know? Because then at least it's like random. It's tides, ocean energy, like mm-hmm. all these natural processes, which our environment had been built to control is right down to the jetties, you know? The, yeah. There's limited control, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think that's where we thrive. Yeah. I loved hearing about Christian's early years of exploring wild open coastlines, how he pulls from a diverse range of surfing places and lineage to influence his wave riding and board shaping, as well as hearing him describe the sometimes memory elusive experience of gliding on a board. In this next part of the interview, we'll get into Christian's experience of building an 18 foot Shetland Isle beach boat by hand sailing it down the Baja Mexico coastline and writing a beautiful, timeless book about it called The Voyage of the Cormorant. I want to shift gears a little bit now and, um, and talk about your book, Voyage of the mm. Cormorant, and not just the book, but the, the, the whole endeavor. It was a beautiful book, man. I absolutely loved it. Thank you. I have had, I'm a voracious reader at the same time, I've been having trouble having books grab lately for whatever uh-huh. reason. It's been hit and miss, and uh, I devoured yours partly because I knew I had a deadline, but yeah. also, but also because it was awesome and it was just kind of just what the soul needed at the time. Wow! And uh, the book's ten years old now, but I want to share with people too, though, that it's timeless. I mean, the from whatever craft you're writing to the spaces you're in Baja and the boat and all of it felt really timeless to me. I mean, it didn't feel I, like I was reading something 10 years old in the slightest. It I could have been written yesterday. I, well, I appreciate you saying that because I had the opportunity that it was one of those things that for a moment I was dreading it. Um, we had sold through the hardcovers. And so, I mean, it's amazing. It's a success. Clearly, they um, had to bring it out in or want, chose to bring it out in paperback. So that was an opportunity to fix some typos and just kind of go over it again. And I had been away from, from it for about five years. And I was like, oh, boy, I'm going to read this thing again. And how's it going to sit with me? And I finished it and I kind of felt like, man, and this is I'm very self-critical and I just genuinely felt like, man, that, that is of a piece. That book is its own little thing in its own time. And, and, but not, it is not connected to 2012 when it was written. Right. And I think partly, um, voyages mm-hmm. journeys are so kind of inherently human Right. I mean, from a pilgrim's progress to, you know, yeah. name them, you know, yeah. um, the, the many books that have have uh, travel as, yeah. as the core. So there's that. But then also the concern of the book was this. I think I use the term in the book technological maw that we find ourselves in. I mean, and this a guy who's got his face in Instagram for too many minutes of the day you know um it's i am not gonna i cannot say because of the way that i live that you know i I don't i mean how's this podcast going to be listened to it's just tools come and get over get it get over it you know but although that that's not to say that we haven't 
we're tweaking our, our fundamental human experience. And I guess that's what we always do. That's mm-hmm. what rock and roll did. That's yeah. what reggae does. Yeah. You know, that's, this one feels different though. It, I, it does, and I know that it does but very... I almost don't want to give it m- that much power, even though I it's got that. like Mark Zuckerberg owns <laughs> me, you know, like it's got that much power. Yeah. But at the same time, no one owns me. I'm not going to be that right, afraid. Yeah. Like they, yeah, yeah. they don't, that, that algorithm, whatever yeah. target can give me their ad. I'll either buy it or I won't. I'm going surfing. Right. Like they can't yeah. fuck with me. Like, yeah. I think you know? the surfing is the key part of that equation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to keeping it in balance. I, I mean, mean, I don't know. Yeah. Am, am I, am I just, um, you know, choosing not to fight and like taking the easy way out by not being so afraid of it anymore. I felt myself overwhelmed by it. My response in part to it was to build a boat, right? Uh, an 18 foot open boat that was, you know, definitely in this ancient lineage which i know that my people mm-hmm. being from ireland would have at least been familiar with in and in and around and that kind of old seafaring kind of stuff and it's romantic it's yeah. impractical and it's super rad yeah you know it is and i i, I uh i've been a bit of a adventure documentary you know fiend in the last couple of years you know a lot of the stuff by jimmy chin and others mm, god amazing yeah and what's that's what that many of those docos have stirred up in me is like what's my adventure i'm not gonna go climb everest or anywhere in the himalayas you know probably and i'm okay with that yeah i'm probably not gonna build a boat and go sail maybe we'll see there's there's still time but it got, a lot of these things have gotten me thinking like well what is my thing that i know is super difficult maybe a bit romantic and rad like you said and i've been you know dreaming up some of these ideas with my son actually who loves to go into the sierras with me so we've been cooking up some of our own adventures that are you know in that vein so it it tapped that same nerve so i want to say to people listening you know pick up the book check it out because it'll if you like those kind of documentaries it'll stir the same sort yeah. of things up in you which well if you if you can tolerate the sound of my voice we also did an audio book uh yeah. last summer i think yeah. it's, it's and on, you read uh, it yeah audible i think or yeah. all, all of it's those. on audible yeah um yeah yeah um yeah. What? Um, yeah. Well, let's get into it. I got a bunch of questions All right, um, cool. about thoughts that came up, parts of the adventure. <clears throat> this may be a total dead end, but it caught my attention for some reason. You got the boat plans from, I'm not going to get this right, Ian Outred uh, from Isle of Sky. Yeah, Ian Outred. Ian Outred uh, from Isle of Sky. Yeah. Why him? Why Scotland of all places for this boat design? Yeah. Um, the basic story is i saw it in wooden boat magazine i saw a photo of the boat and i was like oh my goodness look at that thing that's awesome and i saw its capability and then once i uh studied up on it a bit more i i also figured it's it's the the name the design is a shetland isle beach boat Mm. and that is a craft that kind of is what it says it is yeah it's from the Shetland Isles and it's meant to be launched off the beach and sailed 15 to 25 miles offshore mm. on the Shetland Isles. Okay. And so if you think about where in the world that is and what those conditions are, yeah. that boat is big wave gun. You know, it's, it's an 18 foot 
12 channel gun. Yeah. Um, and um, it's got Nor- Norse boat lineage. Okay. Um, it's got a very simple uh, uh, balance lugs mainsail and a, um, and a, a, a mizzen sail aft. And the, the, the lug sail is, is called a lifting sail. And you can feel the bow kind of like lift up. You're going probably five knots. It's. You know, depending on the wind, um, and it's just a very safe, seaworthy, but a little bit um, uh, better sailor than like uh, certainly than a dory. It's not a dory. People are like, "Oh, look at that dory!" It's not. It's got rounded bilges. It's got rocker. It's made for sailing. You can row it, right. um, and. So I think of it as kind of like it's it's backpacking, coastal backpacking mm. under sail. You're camping yeah. and you're fully in the elements and you can bring two, two, three, two weeks of water and food and, uh, and you know, you can get there, man. And, and you're going at the pace of the whales and the dolphins and the seabirds yeah. and kind of with them. Uh, one of the concepts you talk about in the book is wanting to know more about what you call blood memory. Mm. I love this concept. Can you explain what you mean by it? Yeah. What do you mean by blood memory? Um, I've come to understand that there's a, a field of study that I don't know anything about. This was just mm. my own sort of imaginings I came up with. Or maybe I didn't come up with, but I hadn't heard it this idea of blood memory because yeah. it's, um, I've experienced it in certain actions is as something that like, I can't point to in this lifetime that I know, but I feel that I am formed of it by it. And I think all of us as humans, we've been in these bodies, these, this modern human form for, you know, I think it's up to some debate, but I think it's like a hundred thousand years they're saying. So if you think about that, like a couple hundred thousand, I think really, actually, yeah, yeah, I know yeah, it yeah. keeps getting Homo further sapiens, back, right? I think, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, and we're a long way ago, a long <laughs> way. We've been trotting this earth yeah. since time. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so all of those things, like you, your body resonates with like a good place, like water shelter a little bend in the creek with the wind coming over the top mm-hmm. and a little sun dapple it feels good because it feels good just that's why the animals would be there it's yeah. a good place to be but all that stuff resonates and i think certain work resonates in a in a sort of and i think moving in a group these tribal things like you know um anticipating all these you know hierarchy of needs all this stuff is in us and that the the field that i that i alluded to is epigenetics yeah and you've heard this and i don't know i don't know much about it amazing so the blood memory it's funny i when i was thinking about the concept reading the book and and thinking about it for this interview i i hadn't even gone to epigenetics but really that's what it is mm. and it's something i feel when i i've noticed when i'm whenever you know we're in the mountains and there's a creek bed and there's like boulders or scree or whatever along and i start walking on that it's some primal gear kicks in that feels like blood memory and for me people- i'm like my people have 
done this somewhere for a long time because whatever pain I'm in, whatever goes away and I just am a hundred percent in the moment and yeah, I kick into some new gear and it feels amazing. You're built for that. Yeah. I was thinking of this idea of uh, kinship of the wild. So a theme throughout the book Mm. is this earnest human connection and humanity afforded by sharing raw environment with others that you encountered a lot on the boat, on Mm. your trip in Baja. And talk about that unique brand of kinship that seems to emerge, you know, this, I had this idea kicking in my head of the kinship, kinship of the wild. I've experienced, I know when you're out camping, whatever, it's like people are just in a different gear in the way they connect that we wouldn't in normal day-to-day kind of busy life. Right. Talk about that. Um, I think that's true. And I think, um, it's, uh, you know, a function of, of making ourselves small once again Mm. you know one thing with this technology the technology of the travel technologies the physical technologies of jet airplanes and trains and automobiles and all this um is that you know it's made the world smaller um but when you get to the distant places especially when you get there on your own two feet or in a small open boat amongst other guys who are working in small open boats, even if they're with outboard motors, um, off remote shorelines, um, you know, it's, it's a brotherhood, it's a brotherhood of man kind of thing. We know that we need each other. You know, you when you're way the hell out in the desert and you're passing another vehicle, you often stop, right? And you say, what's going on? You know, oh, no, there's a dead cow down the way or whatever you might talk about, you know, <laughs> just because you need to know what's happening. And, and that, that's an old ancient thing. Let's talk about how time travels or time operates when, uh, when you go deep into nature. It seems to operate at a different, I don't know, on a different yeah. level. And you purposely put yourself in that mode on your voyage Talk about the rhythms of living when you're just out in the wild, sailing, camping. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I feel like that's in those scenarios, that's when we come into real time. Mm. Like we set our clocks, you know, but the real time. Especially, you know, when things, when, when it gets funny, when, when you change the clock back in the fall, which I can't stand all that. It's just like the sun comes up when it comes up and it goes down when it goes down. You get that many hours of daylight. You need to budget your energy, your time for rest, your time mm-hmm. for work, your time for play, your time for whatever the heck it is you're doing. Um, that's how much time you get. I think you can extrapolate that out into a life as well you get what you get mm. and you're already here we're up. we're here we've made it mm-hmm. we're like this is the dream yeah you know and uh i am coming more to that realization i i alluded to that mm. before when yeah. i spent a lot of my life kind of like i i remember thinking like i'm geez i spent so much time just checking boxes, just doing the thing, yeah. going to college, da, 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 getting the job. Da, da. But, you know, <laughs> digging a ditch, going to college, working as the grocery guy, like, man, it's the whole 
It's all of it. It's, it's happening it's right now. It's the kaleidoscope. Yeah. Yeah, man. And um, and and I think the thing is, if you can, like, you know, the um, who is that? I I don't know who the famous. There's a couple of them, but the um, Mexican artist from the 20s who does mm. those beautiful um, Dia de los Muertos, mm, yeah. you know, skeletons and stuff. And so if you can kind of trip yourself out and be like, you know, stuck in traffic and like think, look at all these skeletons driving these cars, <laughs> you know, like, ah. I mean, it's freaky and weird, you yeah. know, like in the long, boring line at the, you know, post right. office and look i talk like i'm like zen guy no i'm like blow the gasket you're in my way guy you know i really suck sometimes but yeah um i do have the capacity to know that it can be like that you yeah. know yeah i mean it's all it's all misto yeah. you yeah. know it is it's so uh this maybe makes my next question irrelevant but i think it'll still make sense to get into that i'm gonna call it the deep now for a minute oh uh, let's call it the deep now there's some evidence. Well, before I say this, what do you notice if you go sailing, you take off for a couple of days, whatever, how long does it take for you to get into that mode? You know, I don't really know. I, I, I suspect my first, my first inclination is to say not very long at all. Um, there's a sense it does, it does take, um, it takes some preparation to sail and there's a difference to me, which always is like, you, t you take what you can, but there's a difference when I take the kids sailing for an afternoon, mm. go out to Santa Barbara Harbor, go out around the buoy, go out a couple miles, maybe get that open ocean feel. Mm -hmm. It's cool. And run back in and put the boat back on the trailer and button it up. But it's as much work getting the thing rigged up and getting ready to go minus the, you know, getting the stores packed in and everything, um, as it is to go for three or four days to the islands. So let's take the island scenario where it's, you know, a three day, four day mission. Um, there's the couple of days of prep, you know, just going to the store, getting this mm -hmm. stuff prepared and thinking about and getting the boat, making checklists, make sure everything's all good to go. And the rush of kind of getting the boat in the water and mm -hmm. getting the boat rigged up and then getting out of the harbor but pretty much once everything's squared away and the mainsail is taut and the course is set you're in the mode mm. and yeah uh i think the trick is to be in the mode through the setting up and the right. rigging and the you know guy who made the lame brain maneuver in the harbor that made you have to make another tack that you didn't <laughs> want to have to take and that 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 just you know that's as we were just yeah. saying, yeah, we're all skeletons. That's the true skill, you know, right there. Yeah, working yeah. on it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> me too. But so the reason I asked that is because there's some evidence around this idea of a three-day effect. Oh, where they've taken whether it's you know uh, military vets with PTSD, whatever, on these, um, and they've done these studies whether it's taking them river rafting and the Colorado River or whatever. In a, around three days, there's this thing that occurs where our brain chemistry, physiology, whatever shifts, and we get a little bit more into that mode. I don't know a ton about it. I'm trying to learn about it. Mm, I love that. And um, yeah, so, so I guess the takeaway is longer vacations. Yeah. At the same time, though, well, what I'm trying to do with Nature Junkie ideally is also help people understand 
that it doesn't require a huge expedition. You know, you don't have to go to Yosemite. It is right here in your front yard, in your neighborhood. But there's a set of skills to learn how to tap into that. Yeah. That go with it. Man, so many ideas. Uh, One is that that three-day effect, though, that you know this. If you, let's say, you just... You go into the High Sierra, you walk up and back a trip, mm-hmm. you know, take one yeah. of the watersheds and go up, find your camp spots and go yeah. even an overnight, yeah. but better two nights out, mm-hmm. third day back. Yeah. When you go to the first thing you go to, whether it's the 7-Eleven for gas <laughs> and, and a, a cup of coffee or yeah. whatever, you come into that 7-Eleven sort of, you know, fluorescent light reality still with your wildness on you and it's kind of you kind of like giggle to yourself you're like oh this was yeah. going on yeah that whole time yeah when you know and the inverse yeah. is true you know yeah. um so that little bit of uh nature connection punk rockness comes yeah. out yeah yeah right yeah you're a little bit yeah. you know and then some people like play that so hard and kind of almost lord it over people right, like oh yeah. not you know you and your sunburn well i'm just trying to get through the work day or whatever it's like you know you're not that cool you're just a person who got to, who has the privilege to get away for True. you know four days so you know keep mm-hmm. some humility about you yeah. even if you know it is punk rock to go sleep under yeah. the stars for three days but i wanted to if i can yeah, go. keep the talking stick here the idea what you were saying about wildness and the and that dovetails to what mm-hmm. we were just talking about about this like perpetual mistoness if you can like, tolerate my yeah southern california you know newportness mistoness um that's what i've learned and i'm learning from my wife natasha who mm. um and her her landscaping deal is she makes these beautiful landscapes but what she's doing is creating habitat and she's and i'm repeating what she tells me she's bringing nature and so like we go to these wild places we go to yosemite um which sometimes feels like the mental wise in terms of crowds right big time we go to these wild places seeking this this untrammeled you know openness or whatever but you can you can bring wildness into your life, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and um, the way you think about how how water moves in and off of your property or into your soil, and you store mm-hmm. it there, and it's not a it's not a commodity. It's something that you hold and evaporates and goes back in the full circle of of mm-hmm. life. I love kicking around with Christian the things that are allowed to bubble up in our minds when we spend deeper amounts of time in the wild, and how it changes our perception of time and even how we interact with other people along the way. In this last part of our conversation, we get into Christian's current writing practice, along with how he thinks about the definition of nature and what he recommends for accessing wild places regularly. What's your current writing practice like? Um, I write a column, a monthly column for the town newspaper in Carpinteria. Um hmm. I think, I don't know, 10, got a readership of about 10,000 or so, yeah. but uh, potentially gajillions yeah. on, you know, yeah. on, on the interweb. But um, yeah, so I have this column that I titled, I've been doing it for probably three or four years now. Um, 
I call it It's All Surfing, and it's in the Coastal View. Uh, mm. The Coastal View News is the publication mm. um, where I was a, an editor on the staff there for a couple of years until a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I write and I titled it It's All Surfing off of Tom Morey's quote that life. It's yeah. all, you know, it's yeah. all, you know, positioning and timing and yeah. all the stuff of surfing yeah. is in, is yeah. in life. Um, or Jerry, the surf is where you find it. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. all that kind yeah. of stuff. And a few pieces for a surfer's journal here and there. Yeah. Some, some journal pieces yeah. as, you know, as often as I can, you know, pitch a story that they yeah. give me the green light on. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. I love doing that. And, um, it's great. A couple more and we'll wrap it up. This is one I like to ask everyone. What is nature to you? There are a lot of different definitions definitions out there. I'd love to know yours or understand yours. I think nature for me is when you're caught surprised or, or astounded by something. We were mm-hmm. in our backyard and a big great horned owl flew up onto onto that big tree that's at the top of the hill and uh and it was in at the crepuscular hour you know it's mm. getting dark and uh late late evening and and i said oh look at that owl and i scared it away <laughs> and it was big he was probably sitting there he was probably almost four feet he was big you know, so those kind of moments, mm. that's nature to me. That's beautiful. Awe and wonder. Yeah, I think we need a little bit more of that. Yeah, these days. Man, it goes a long way. What are some practical ways that you connect with nature on a regular basis? I, I, I want to always leave people with some practical ways they can connect with nature to avoid thinking, you know, the, the barrier or myth of like, you have to go to Yosemite. Yeah. What are the what are the little ways you might connect every day that you'd recommend work for you that might work for yeah. someone else? You know what? Um, I don't do this too often, but I know this guy. He works for uh, Patagonia. His name's John Rapp, and a lot of people love and respect him. And he is the king of the overnight mission up into the up into the Santa Ynez mountains like right here he he'll just go with a little knapsack and i don't know John Muir style like not a wool blanket he'll have probably a little sleeping bag or something but mm. so i mean on a tuesday night like you could you know with a little bit of planning pretty much if you live in southern california mm. or in most places obviously this time of year in north dakota you know but maybe north dakota you're living a different kind of life mm. anyway smaller more wild places yeah. anyway i can't account for the whole world um yeah. but i can account for living in in uh in southern california you know you can break it up it's possible you might be a little tired you know the next day but go and go light and go take get off work you know arrange get out of work at two in the afternoon drive drive to whatever trailhead you know figure out and if you can or can't camp, whatever, but the kind of camping I'm talking about is not even with a fire. Maybe it's just a little camp stove to mm-hmm. make a, make a pouch meal or something and just go and find a nuggety little spot 
and sit there and see what happens mm. and if and and watch the nothingness the, the so-called nothingness yeah. but there's the insects there's the light there's the wind there's the sound there's your heart and your breath yeah and just do that the one night strike yeah i love it i'm gonna give a shout out to my buddy ryan o'connor who's the master of the one night Oh, Zen strike. That's so cool. <laughs> we go. We have Anza Borrego from San Diego oh, in the desert. So yeah. you know when it's not the hot time of year, mm-hmm. we've got the perfect little nuggety spot out yeah. there. Perfect little one nighter reset. Uh, so where good. should we point people? Where would you love to send people? We'll put your website link on the oh, on the show oh. notes and all that. But where would you love to send people to find out about your, your crafts? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm most frequently updating, um, what I'm doing, mostly shaping, um, on Instagram, um, at Christian, I think it's at Christian dash Beamish, but I think if you just write Christian Beamish on the Instagram app, Mm -hmm. you'll come to my thing. Um, don't spend too much time. Go look at trees and flowers and stuff. No, whatever. I don't know. Look at Instagram, enjoy it. And then have a beer and then, <laughs> and then go be nice the to your kids you know i don't know um and, um and then i have a website you know probably like most people with websites in perpetual need of you know upgrading and improving mm. but it's um you'll sense a theme here christianbeamish.com oh so in carpinteria um i share a shop with um ryan lovelace he's a great shaper i'm sure mm. a lot of people are familiar with his boards and we're at 500 maple avenue next to island brewing company so come have a beer and check some shapes we got a cool showroom it's a rad little spot in carpinteria which is itself a rad little spot and talk about nature in carpinteria there's a a salt marsh and so you can just google it or whatever and it is a fantastic place to just post up and see what go on you know like things are happening out there um sharks in the canals and really all kinds of birds yeah leopard sharks and stingrays and stuff it's it's a a tidal estuary Uh, and uh it's a magical magical place you know redone planted in natives and it's just like this this time of day this late afternoon with the golden light coming across it and 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 the um and the santinez stretching around going out to santa barbara it's Mm. that's nature right there perfect yeah Christian, thanks so yes, much sir. for making time, sharing yeah. your energy and your stories. My and, pleasure. Uh, I'll link in the show notes to all your stuff. Cool, man. Thank I you. I highly recommend people read The Voyage of the Cormorant if you're looking for a good book that wants to stoke the fire of your inner, inner, yeah. inner stoke the, refill the stoke battery inside. Cool. Yeah, man, I get, and, I get uh, feed, you know, good feedback from people. Are kind of, it's humbling. The people are moved. Yeah. So it feels good. Thank you, brother. All right, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. The conversation with Christian was such a delight for me. It's always so much fun to catch up with an old friend. And I love his approach to surfing and board making that seamlessly blends the best of modern high performance with deeply soulful shapes rather than getting stuck in an either or way of board building or thinking. One of the things I noticed about Christian through our conversation is that he cross pollinates the language of the coast. 
talks about boats like they're surfboards or backpacks. He talks about shaping boards like they're drafts of the written word. And he talks about surfing with his words and thinking. It's a beautiful interconnection of a life shaped by the ocean and all the tools and crafts that come with it. Really enjoyed Christian's grommet-like froth for life and creativity, and I hope you did too. I'll leave you with a few words of wisdom from Christian. Sometimes we need to do things that are romantic, impractical, and super rad. Thanks, Christian. Until next time, enjoy the ride. As always, thanks for tuning in to Nature Junkie Radio. I invite you to head over to our website at naturejunkielife.com for show notes, to learn more about Nature Connection, and to sign up for our newsletter. And one last thing, please share how you microdose nature so I can share it with everyone in a future episode of the podcast. It's simple. Just get out your phone, record a voice memo for about 30 seconds to a minute, tell me your first name, where you're from, Describe how you microdose nature and importantly, how does it make you feel? Just email that voice memo to hello at naturejunkielife.com. That's hello at naturejunkielife.com, and that's all it takes. Thanks so much in advance, and as always, thanks for listening to Nature Junkie Radio. Now I'm going to play you out with a little acoustic guitar clip from my son Tyler. Before I do, I want to share a nature quote from Tyler that's been honed and crystallized through hours of deep thought and the wisdom of his full 18 years of life on earth. Quote, I hate people. Trees are cool. Unquote. Thanks, Tyler. Enjoy the clip, everyone. Microdose nature and replenish your stoke.